Welcome to Manager Tools. Everyone, due to the interest we've received in the uh, ongoing series of performance reviews, uh, we're going to accelerate delivering those. And today, we're going to deliver to you part three of our series on preparing for performance reviews. Here we go, folks. Welcome to the Manager Tools podcast for Monday, January 2nd, 2006. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to Manager Tools. Mark and I both hope you had a Merry Christmas and enjoyed the holidays as well as we did because we both had fantastic holidays, and uh, we apologize for not getting out our podcast last week during the holidays, but um, we were just having too much fun. Um, in any case, we're, we're both looking forward to getting back into it in the new year, and we have a lot of ground to cover with you this year, so we're anxious to, to get to it. And what would the new year be without performance reviews, right? Well, today we'll continue our conversation on performance reviews. And having already covered preparing for and writing the review, over the course of this week and next, we'll cover the basics of actually delivering the review. Before we do, however, a couple of points. It's the beginning of a new month, and so don't forget to go to our website and cast your vote on Podcast Alley for us. Many of you continue to be generous and give us your vote for the month, and we do appreciate it greatly. Voting is simple. Visit our website and you'll see the voting button clearly on the top of the homepage. Also, if you haven't registered on our website yet, be sure to do that. The members-only podcast will be out here shortly and you won't want to miss it. So, let's start 2006 off with more on performance reviews. My guess is that delivering reviews is probably one of, if not the most stress-inducing, anxiety-producing events most managers go through each year only exceeded probably by getting laid off or laying someone else off. Yeah, you know, I think they're and what's sad about it is it's 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 much more stress inducing for the people who are receiving it because the managers do it so poorly. Um and you know, it goes back to something I told somebody a couple of years ago, Mike. I call it the Christmas rule, which is anything that you do once a year that's really important to you, like Christmas, is going to be stressful. Right? You don't right. practice it. Right. Okay, it's like people playing golf once a month and wanting to be really good, like the guys on TV. Not going to happen. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised it's it's terribly done, but it is pretty bad. Of course, most managers that I know of don't uh, they don't mind giving positive reviews. So that's not the the ones that produce the stress. It's the it's the providing some constructive feedback during the review that presents most people with the the difficulty. Yeah, but you you know you know what's funny about that, Mike, is that everybody. I mean, even your good performers can can get noticeable improvement out of a well-delivered review. So really what managers are saying is, I want my job to be easy, please, rather than I want to do the best job I possibly can. Sure, it's easy to give a good a review, but, but what you're essentially saying is, I'm going to not stretch my top people. Look, I would, I would argue that you don't need to spend a whole lot of time on your weak performers. And spend less time on them. Say, look, I, I, I gave you a, you know, you didn't meet expectations. Here are my concerns. Here's what I recommend you do. I'll be keeping close watching you. I care about you. I want to help you. And then figure out a way to spend more time with your top performers. An hour of your top performers at a noticeably better rate of value creation is much more valuable to you and your organization than an hour spent with your bottom performer. I mean, I don't mean to be Darwinian about it, but, but yeah, but if a manager says, well, my top performers, they're easy. 
Well, why? Why aren't you spending the time thinking about how can I get the maximum out of them? What can I do to even make them more effective? So right. I think there's a double-edged sword there. Yeah, it all goes back to providing feedback, and we won't go in the feedback model again here, but that providing feedback is difficult for people because they, yeah. they don't have a, a method and a process for doing so, which we've tried to address in some of our previous podcasts. And, and I, you know, as we've been talking about, giving effective performance reviews is no different. If you have an, a performance management system in place and a method for, for doing it, it becomes relatively straightforward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think I think the two things are the relationship that allows you to lean on it a little bit in order to give the feedback and a delivery method. If you have those two things, then you can do then feedback works. Yeah. Okay, so well in the last two podcasts we talked about how to prepare for and write performance evaluations and today we're going to talk about delivery of that evaluation. Right. Well, let's first of all do some housekeeping from the last couple of sessions. We've gotten several emails, people saying, okay, you said there would be a self-evaluation form on the web, and there's not one there. We made an error with my fault in the last couple of podcasts. Um, what we intended to say was this. Um, what you give your employee, the ratee, is the annual review form that your firm uses. So that was the form we intended you to give. What we're going to post on the web, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it's already there, is the email that you're going to send out requesting their input on the form, and you can attach the form electronically or, or put it in their inbox, however you like to do it. So sorry we didn't do that. Uh, it wasn't very clear, um, and that was my fault. <clears throat> I also have to share a quote, uh, my very favorite quote. I meant to do it last time, Mike, about evaluations. Um, and it goes in right to our, the conversation you and I were just having. The common way of doing annual reviews is like dieting on your birthday and wondering why you're not losing weight. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. It is so perfect. Gosh, I'm, I'm fatter this year, but I dieted on my birthday. I didn't have any cake. <laughs> um, and that's what people expect. They expect an event to create change. And events do not create change. They create the requisite um raw material, if you will, for change, but change happens through a process. It happens over time. It happens with attention um, and encouragement and regular feedback. So, All right, now that we get the housekeeping out of the way, um, in our last two podcasts, we talked about how to prepare for and write the performance evaluation, and so now we're going to talk about the dreaded delivery of that evaluation. How, how do we do that? What are the keys of that, Mark? Well, uh, first thing is, hopefully when people were listening, um, on how to prepare and write the review, it struck our listeners uh, um, that delivering a review that is professionally done, that you've taken your time and done well with, will be much easier than one that has been thrown together and you don't have your data and you haven't reviewed it and thought about it carefully and so on. Um, and and I, I think an important point to make here, because now we're talking about the event that is generally done so poorly and is hated and dreaded and so on, I think it's important to make this this point again, and we'll, I'll probably make a couple more times during this podcast, is managing around events as opposed to processes is almost always an ineffective way to manage. It's counter to the basics of management, and it's hard to reproduce. Events tend to be hard to reproduce. They're hard to teach. They're much harder to capture. 
and harder to correct in process as you're moving through them um, because they tend to be pretty much reactive rather than proactive. There's no planning around them. Um, so I think it's important that people understand that what we're trying to do is take that event, the, the delivery of it, and minimize its importance by doing other things throughout the process that makes the delivery almost a, an aftermath that is easy. And certainly if you've been giving feedback and coaching and you've been giving quarterly reviews, the actual delivery of the final review at the end of the year is not going to be a cataclysmic event. People are going to be used to it. It's going to be boring. And that's what good management is, as we've said before. It's boring. It's anticlimactic. It's not appealing terribly, but it's terribly effective. Um, but okay. Um, we're also going to proceed, just another quick note here, we're going to proceed as if you've already done your prep work and you've written a review. That's what this cast is about, what you do after that. Um, we're not going to assume that you've given quarterly reviews the way manager tools managers should, um, nor do you have necessarily a year's worth of data at your fingertips through um, one-on-ones and so on. Um, we have assumed here that you have asked each ratee to complete an annual review form as a self-evaluation. And I want to make a point also about, I've got so many points at the start of this thing, Mike, you're probably <laughs> going to kill me. Um, I want to make a point about using the, the, the term ratee. I just put away, I, I had it on my last trip and I had it on my desk and reread it the night before last. I just put away, uh, a, 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 an article by Peter Drucker called, They're Not Employees, They're People. And so I don't want people to think that we have, marginalize the person who's receiving this review as a ratee. We see them as people, believe me. I'm just using ratee to be very specific about the person to whom you're delivering the review. We're not trying to make them one-dimensional. We just use that phrase. We use that, that nomenclature to be clear about the actors in this little play that we're laying out. Okay? So there's going to be several things you need to do around the delivery of an annual review of a performance evaluation. The first is a pre-meeting email. We'll, you'll send this out about a week in advance of the delivery meeting. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, the next thing you're going to do is develop your core message, and that's around what is the primary idea that you want the ratee to leave the meeting with. You've also got to do logistical preparation, which is pretty simple by now. Um, there's, a, there's one thing you've got to do the day before the review. Hopefully some of you know which, that, what that is. Um, we've got a list for you of what to bring to the review. Uh, there's a recommendation here about how to structure your delivery. There is an effective order to delivering these. Um, we, we have a specific way we recommend you start in terms of a scripted opening, uh, and it actually has three parts. Um, and then we've got some suggestions about how to behave during the meeting. Uh, we can't recommend every single scripted step in the meeting because we don't know how your form works. Um, but nevertheless, we think it's uh, um, it's effective to give some simple tips on how to be perceived as a good listener, how to be a good communicator during the meeting. So there are eight steps that we're going to walk through. Let's start with step one, the pre-meeting email. Um, really simple. About a week before you meet with each AT, we recommend you send them an email reminding them of the meeting and covering the basics. Okay, we're gonna. There's a sample of this on the web. In fact, you're gonna hear me read through the sample because that reading through it gives you a great understanding of how we structure the meeting itself. Um, no matter what your human resources department sends out, whatever standard communications are sent in the form of the organization or whatever are absolutely insufficient. This is a mail from you to the individual confirming your meeting and talking about what you're going to do, which I guarantee you your human resource department is not training you to do. 
And that's okay. Human resources does good stuff. They're just not doing this. <clears throat> Remember, this is part of the perform, this evaluation, this re- delivery meeting, if you will, is part of the overall performance management process. If you send this mail out, it's yet another thing you're doing in advance of the meeting to make the employee feel like it's a part of the process and thereby minimizing the impact, the emotional impact, the the fear and dread, if you will, of the actual delivery meeting itself. It makes it much more about an ongoing effort at individual improvement rather than about me telling you how you did and how much money you're getting next year. Okay, and in this mail, you're just basically going to set the groundwork for the meeting and tell them what's going to happen and why. Here's a simple sample. And again, we're going to post this on the web for everybody. Um, dear Bob, this is an email. This email is a reminder of our performance management meeting on date at time in slash at location X. I'm looking forward to sitting down with you and going over your year and talking about what we're going to do next year as well. Between now and then, I encourage you to review your self-evaluation. The day before our meeting, I will be giving you a copy of your review to go over before our meeting. I found that reading something in front of your boss for the first time is no fun at all, and I don't want to do that to you. This will give you a chance to find where we agree and disagree, and to take your time and think clearly about any questions you might have. Your salary information will not be on the copy I give you the night before. And Mike, we just do that just because we don't want people emailing each other. There's something to be said for the privacy of delivering the the salary information face-to-face. I found that when we tell managers to put salary information on in advance, salary information tends to get leaked more easily. It's going to get leaked anyway, but let's reduce the chances it gets leaked. Yeah, makes sense. Next, during our meeting, I'm going to follow a simple pattern that I found works really well. First, I'll go over our agenda. Then I'm going to give you a broad overview of how you performed, giving you first a core message. I'll do my best to summarize your year, if you will, in that core message. Then we'll walk through each part of the review. I'll, st- I'll start with areas that you and I agreed upon and then move to areas where we disagreed. I found that makes for a little less tension in the meeting. When we've walked through the whole form, we'll discuss compensation changes. If there's time, I'll be happy to discuss the details of how our company administers annual compensation. Um, and if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. If I can't answer them, we'll get you to somebody in HR or finance to do that. Then we'll talk about our goals for next year. These will, of course, be affected by your evaluation, but I'd like you to come prepared to begin a discussion about them. I don't expect us to make it through all of your development planning for next year, but if we do, that's great. We have an hour scheduled. I will not go over that time. I found that if it takes, if it does take that long, going longer doesn't help. Starting fresh in a second meeting is better. I'll be happy to schedule more time if we don't finish. My goal is always to finish the review of last year, discuss compensation, and again, at least begin talking about goals for next year. I'll finish by reminding you of the core message I began with. Please let me know you've received it and read this mail by replying to it simply. If for some reason you're thinking you may not be able to make this meeting, I encourage you to let me know now. While I urge you not to try to reschedule, if necessary, I may be able to be flexible. If you have any questions about the process, please just ask. Thanks, manager. And one thing I, I, I've found, Mike, is if you tell them, if you have any questions at all, please just ask. What, what happens is people ask about their review. Um, so I've changed that to include, if you have any questions about the process, please just ask. Uh, you'll probably still get some questions from people, not about the process, but about their review. Hint, hint, can you tell me how I did? Um, and the answer to that is no, <laughs> um, because 
it's not enough just to tell them. It's important that you get every opportunity to give them an opportunity to improve. And the best way to do that is to maximize it in the meeting itself. Okay. Next step is developing your core message. This is the most important part of this podcast and delivering the review. Um, it's the hardest thing you're going to do, um, but is absolutely the best. And it's the most overlooked. This is, uh, I suspect that many people listening when after they get done hearing it will say, wow, that makes it really simple. I feel much better about what I have to do now. Um, it's not necessary that you actually wait until the week before the review to develop it. You could have done it a month ago. It, it doesn't have to follow the week in advance email we just sent out. Um, however you want to do it is fine. Don't do it at the last minute. You need to think about this. The reason we need a core message is that the meeting you're going to have is the most emotionally charged meeting you can have with an employee whom you're retaining. Okay, They're more scared than they care to admit. You're probably not going to be as good at it as you want to be, so you're going to be a little bit nervous. They're nervous about how much of a raise they're going to get. For many years, I advised managers to just tell employees the salary increase they're going to get immediately, like in the first two minutes of the meeting, just to stop the buzzing in the employee's head um, uh, that seems so widespread until they hear that number anyway. I since learned that while there is buzzing in their heads before the number, there's buzzing in their heads afterwards, and that buzzing is in the form of calculations about what can I afford and what my take-home will be and those kind of things. Um all that said, one of Horseman's laws is that if you say something seven times, half your people will say they heard it once. Because there's so much organizational sandpaper to fight through, it's best to boil any communication you have down to its bare essence and then repeat it over and over and over again. I think Churchill once um, was asked to give some advice on giving a speech. He says, come up with a good idea and then deliver it with a great whack and then whack it again and then whack it one more time for good measure or something like that. Um so, boy, so when it comes to this meeting, you better start with it, flesh it out with details, the core message, and then end with it if you want the Raytee to remember anything from this meeting. Their heads are going to be buzzing. You must pick a core message and make sure that you have something you can hang your hat on when they walk out saying, okay, give me back the core message so I know that you got it. I wouldn't, it would be a great idea to do that just to make sure everybody's got a clear understanding of how the meeting went rather than, well, I don't remember, but I got a 3% raise. That's not. If people say, well, I don't remember we a 3% raise, you failed in delivering the annual review. Does the fact that they're not going to remember anything from this meeting therefore imply that this is, this is not the place to be giving people detailed feedback on their performance? Kind of help me understand a little bit the, the, um, the message there that we're giving people feedback on their performance. Obviously, it's a performance review yet they're not going to remember a lot out of this process. So where's the balance between providing feedback and not? Yeah, uh, great. it's a great question. Um, first of all, you're a manager. You're responsible to give feedback, period. Now's the time where you're giving them feedback. The fact that they're not going to hear all of it um, uh, doesn't mean that you're off the hook. So let's be clear about that. Secondly, um, when you actually deliver feedback from the review, um, most of it's going to be written, and all you're going to be doing is pointing it out. Um, none of this should be a surprise. The first time you do this, if you haven't been using the feedback model and you give them detailed feedback, people's heads are going to spin. Um, I, you know, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. So you can either do it and, and expect their head to spin after this meeting and have them not hear it and then start doing feedback, or you can give, get them used to feedback in advance, and then when you give them feedback in this meeting, it should be 
It should be tolerable. They should be able to hear it. Um, they're going to be able to take away the review, and they're going to study it. I'm not saying they won't learn some stuff, but they're probably not going to learn a lot from you in the meeting. So I think that's important. Uh, that's why there's documentation, at least in part, is so that they have a record of what you actually told them. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah. I mean, it strikes me that why this process is so difficult for most people is that a lot of managers believe that the annual review is the place that they do give feedback. And and given what you said, that they won't remember anything coming out of it, it's terribly ineffective as a me- mechanism for doing that. Yeah. So, oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, that's why you have the core message. And, and the core message, as I'm about to share with you, is not about the details. It's about performance and what it means for the future. So let me cover that. The core message has three parts. The rating, the result, and its ramifications. Now, I admit I chose that last word just to complete the alliteration, RRR. Uh, this is the three R's. Um, but um, you'll just have to accept it. Um, if you want to use a different word, use whatever word you like, whatever word works for you. Um, by rating, what we mean is their overall score on however your organization rates people. It could be met expectations. It could be superior. It could be top 10%. It could be failing to meet. It could be below standard, whatever. Wherever you are, your firm has a final ranking or overall title, most likely, that each employee gets we're betting. If they don't, use your best judgment and come up with an adjective or two or an adjective or a two-word phrase that captures this ratee's performance relative to whatever standard you want to come up with. So that's what you start with. Next comes the result. I really believe this is a distinct advantage for those of you who are listening. Um, essentially, this is where you tell the ratee what you believe their performance earned them in terms of their career and their job slash position. Okay. Another way of thinking about it is, okay, you did this well. Here's what this means in terms of your job and your responsibilities. Now, there are four primary result classifications. Promotion, vertical growth, horizontal growth, and no change. Let's cover each one, and then I'll briefly touch on some special cases that exist. Um, but, But first, wait, before I do that, I have two notes I want to share. First, generally, these four result classifications we're talking about relate to the kind of evaluation ratings most companies have. If someone were considered superior or some equivalent high-level evaluation category, promotion might be a possible outcome. On the other hand, it's possible you could be you could get a, a, a result of promotion even though you have just met expectations, as an example. The results do not follow precisely the ratings in every case. Heck, some companies have eight or nine or ten ratings. There are plenty of cases where someone who meets expectations and you recommend them for promotion or where someone who is clearly superior has no change or gets only vertical or horizontal growth. It depends on you, your analysis of their situation, them, your company, career, and so on. Do not assume that there's a linear one-to-one relationship to any company's ratings. There's not. You could easily have three or four different possible results with each given rating, depending upon where they are in their career and, and, and jobs and promotion and the industry you're in and so on. Whether there's a recession, all kinds of things. Okay, second note. Hopefully you see the power of this technique in terms of communicating your core message. I've really seen it, Mike, I've seen it fundamentally change the way a review happens from how much am I going to get in pay next year to here's how you did, here's what that got you, and here's what that means for next year. 
by communicating them in, in kind of in one paragraph, one sentence in that core message, it makes it much easier to see the overall conversation as being part of a process about performance and not about a salary adjustment. It really right. does make a difference. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the four. First, promotion. Obviously, this is usually reserved for superior performers, but there are plenty of cases where a more middle-of-the-road performer might have earned such a result. Um, remember, this result is your communication to the ratee about what their rating actually means professionally for them in the next year. It's possible that you can't by yourself promote them, and all this would mean that you believe they're ready in other words, if you gave them that promotion result, you believe they're ready and you'll work with them, your boss, and HR probably to find a suitable position to promote them into. Yes, it's possible you could be setting yourself up for failure here. Um, there may be no position. Your boss may hate you and the ratee and vow never to promote them. Uh, promotion is the rating that requires you to have done. I'm sorry. Promotion is the result that requires you to have done some homework in advance. Ideally, talk to your HR rep and your own manager about what the opportunities are and how to go about getting your employee what they deserve. Um, and, you know, try to remember that your primary role is to speak not for the Ray T, but rather for the organization, your manager. There may be great people working for you that deserve a promotion um, that you know darn, ver darn well is very unlikely. Uh, may be politically possible to give them a promote result and be clear with them about the uphill battle in front of you um, in terms of making it happen because of politics, because of structure, because of economics, whatever the case might be. Um, and one more thing about promotion. Um, this result doesn't mean you're going to promote this person immediately. You're saying they're ready now or they will be ready during the next year, and you want to be clear with them now that you want to get them promoted during the coming year and there may be some work you have to do. And the sooner they know that you're planning on doing it, the sooner they're going to help you get there. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's... Um a very valuable conversation. I found in the past that once you've had that conversation with somebody, it frees the individual up to then focus on helping you over the course of the next year make the case to the rest of the organization that they're ready to be yeah. promoted. Yeah, they behave differently, don't they? They do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they all of a sudden they get smarter. It's weird. They they start they're willing to take guidance much more easily. They're much more open. They they tend to. They just tend to be better. It's like the Pygmalion. Yeah. On the other hand, you, you've, you've got to be pretty clear in your mind that you're committed to making this happen prior to making that statement. Because once yeah. you say it, people have an expectation. And uh, I've seen it work the other, the other way, which is the statement's been made, and then two years later they're still not promoted, and um, that <laughs> results in lots of negative behavior in the future. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, it's a strong statement and ought to be – considered uh carefully yes carefully yeah yeah deliberately yeah um okay next vertical growth this is a result for somebody who's done their job well obviously and you want to give them more responsibilities in the areas they're already working in usually this would mean you delegating more work in their area to them versus doing it yourself in other words something that you've held on to that they could do now you're going to give it to them that you've that was maybe at your level but now you feel like it could be at their level it might mean giving them some of your leadership tasks, running meetings or administration or reporting. It depends on the job, of course, um, but usually this results happen after you've already done some horizontal or broadening growth with a ratee pre previously. 
and both vertical and horizontal growth, Mike, obviously are very job dependent. Um, and I generally think that what might be an ideal progression is in the first year, somebody does their job well and they get a met expectations, so you give them a no change. Um, and then after a year or two, you think, you know, boy, this person's got their job down. I want to give them more to do because there's always going to be more to do from the, coming down from, from the top. And so you grow them horizontally. Then after a year of that or so, you, you give them some vertical growth. You increase the kind of stuff that they have that has a higher level of visibility. And the last thing is they're ready for promotion. So that's a way to think about changing from, I don't really have anything different for you. Just keep doing your job well, well, uh, into, hey, there's a number of different ways I can come at this person. And if they've been given horizontal growth for a couple of years and you say no change and they know that other people have been given vertical growth after that, they might see that as, well, I'm doing well, but not as well as my manager might believe I could if I was putting in my best effort. So I'm sorry I got off track there. The next one is horizontal growth. And this is for somebody you want to broaden their responsibilities by giving them additional tasks in areas that they're not presently active. Um, maybe if your team possesses five different types of insurance claims, you'll ask them to learn about an additional one to the two they're already working on. Maybe it means asking them to cross-train with another team member on something or strengthen the team for personnel strains that may come up. Uh, it might mean just getting a new employee uh, to the complete portfolio of their job. You start them out in a small subset of it, and gradually over the course of the first couple of years, you give them horizontal growth until they understand the job completely. Um, again, this is highly job dependent. Again, this is usually the first step on the path to an ultimate promotion is to broaden somebody's job. And the last one in terms of the prior, four primary ones, um, is no change. I used to call this classification, this result classification steady state. Um, and I've changed it to no change because I think steady state suggests that where this rating is, is okay. And I think the world has changed enough, Mike, that I want the employee to understand that staying for several years at no change, when the world seems to be spinning ever faster and change is a given and so on, it's probably an untenable position to stake their future on. In fact, um, you know, in probably the second year of a no change result, I might bluntly tell the employee that one, one more year is probably all they can afford before they consider broadening their contribution. And yeah, there are exceptions to that rule. I don't mean to suggest I'm... You know, this is a dark mark saying three years and they're out. This is not an up or out recommendation necessarily. Um, but I, but I think it's okay to say no change. Um, I think there's a, there's a, a positive there. You didn't, you know, you, you did everything I asked you to do and, but there's going to be no change in your responsibilities. If you're thinking you're going to get more to do, I'm not seeing it. You're going to have to do something more to prove that to me. Does that sound, does that make sense to you, Mike? I mean. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Uh, it's a subtle change, but I, I, I've seen some, some good, I, I've seen some managers get some good traction with it. Okay, now, what about the other areas? Um, and there are three of them. Reduce, demote, and terminate. Um, I have found that these are so unique to companies, uh, and we're going to discuss each of these situations later in different podcasts. Usually managers don't wait for an annual review to cover them, or at least we hope they don't wait till the, till, uh, the annual review. Uh, reduce simply means reducing somebody's uh, responsibilities. Demoting actually means moving them down the organization. It happens. Uh, and then terminate, obviously, is very clear. Um, so we've covered the ranking and the result. What about ramifications? Um, that third R in the alliteration. Um, ramifications are really just the broad outlines of what you and the employee are going to do next year based on the result, giving a little bit more details to the result. Now, 
key point here. You don't necessarily go into the details of ramifications in your initial delivery of the core message when you start off the meeting after you go through the agenda and so on with it. Um, um, if you figured out what the promotion must be or what's, what specifically must be broadened, of course you state that, okay? If not, you simply identify the need to discuss the, 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 the ramifications, the results, if you will, further in the planning portion of the evaluation discussion. Again, it's highly dependent upon your organization, but in general, ramifications of a promotion result are discussing what jobs are right for the radee, what jobs she might be interested in, what career aspirations does he have, which jobs help, you know, best help get him there, whom do we need to talk to about making it happen, are there relationships we need to foster so that we'll have help from the other side of the table. Ramifications for vertical or horizontal growth are talking about what parts of their job are going to change and how and considering a timeline and perhaps deliverables around the change. In some cases, you're going to know exactly what you want them to broaden or deepen in terms of their skills. And so you're going to be able to talk about those initially, but you don't necessarily have to. It may change as you engage in a dialogue during the third part of the, during the last part of the, the, the meeting, um, where you have a discussion. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Um, even in the case of a no change result, I recommend you make it clear that you want performance improvement. Uh, you can do that. You can say, look, I'd like to see better numbers here or better numbers there. Um, all that said, here's what your core message might sound like. Bob, you did a superior job last year and, and, and earned a fully exceeded rating. I, f- I feel that means you're ready for vertical growth in your role in the areas of quality control and variability reporting, period. So you had rating, fully exceeded. You had vertical growth, which is a result. And you had ramification, which is quality control and variability of reporting are the places you're going to get beginning the vertical growth. One final note about core messages. Um, the reason you're doing this is, is because the employee will not, will not, will not remember everything you want them to from this meeting. So I found it best to just boil it down to one or two key ideas and make sure they get those. It's possible that your organization makes it hard to use this format, but I doubt it. Um, this is you in the meeting itself, coming up with a way to deliver a key message in a clearly defined, distinctive way. Um, and, and there's a simple test to use. Will the Rady be able to repeat your core message one month after your meeting? If you're certain they can do that, and you might want to test it as well, um, then you've had a good meeting. Okay? So that's your core message. That is probably 90% of the value of today's podcast. Okay? Cool. You know, one thing that struck me about, you know, I asked earlier about the whole feedback question about whether the balance between feedback and how much feedback can you give. But one thing that struck me is that about this core message is really this is setting up the framework for all your performance performance management system activities over the coming year. I mean, and that, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's almost more about the future than it is about the past. Yeah. Certainly, the past is informing the future, but that's the value of the review is setting up the following year. Yeah, it does. It fundamentally changes the meaning. Okay, logistical preparation is next. Really, pretty simple. You've got to re- re- reconfirm um, that you still own whatever meeting room you have scheduled. Um, 
And and something else I don't think I mentioned before, Mike, is that if there's a window in which you're supposed to deliver these meetings, like in the month of January or from December 15th to January 15th, do them at the front end of the window. The sooner you do them, the sooner your team will be done with them and they'll be able to get back to work. The later you wait, the harder it is to get done, the more other people you'll be competing with for your boss to sign off on them. Get them done sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, they added stress of trying to rush it at the yeah, end. It's not, everybody does it, it and it's, it's embarrassing. It actually is embarrassing. It implies that you're really not ready and you're rushing to meet a deadline. The same thing you don't want them doing when they produce a project for you. Uh, and this yeah. is important. You know, this is their addiction to food, clothing, and shelter. We don't want to mess. We we want them to perceive us as being totally professional and ethical about how we handle this critical process and this particular meeting in the process. Okay. Also, if I haven't already said it before, you, you don't want to be scheduling these meetings first in the morning or last in the day. People say, well, I want to schedule my tough ones for the end of the day. No, you do not. People rushing to get into work first thing in the morning will not be at the best, and if they're going to be late, it's going to freak them out, and they're going to panic. Um, and those worrying about child care at the end of the day will not be in a mood. They're going to be, you know, they're going to not going to want to be asking questions and so on. Um, so don't do them at eight in the morning, and don't do them at four in the afternoon. Do them in the middle of the day. If that means you can only do three a day, well, then only do three a day and figure out how to do it. Um, and if you can, and if you're wise enough and bold enough, I recommend you sit on the same side of the table as the desk, the same side of the table or desk as the Ray-T. Um It's easier in your, if you're in a conference room, obviously, than at your desk across a T on your desk or whatever. Um, <laughs> as a friend of mine once said, what if they hit me? Well, if you're, if you're worried about them hitting you, the table's not going to stop them. The table being between you and them is not going to stop them. Uh, it's a nice gesture to be on the same side of the table as they are. Now, another key point, uh, learned this from a guy named Leonard Whiteman, one of the greatest managers I've ever known. Uh, it is one of the truly beautiful competitive advantage, advantages that manager tools managers have over other managers, I'm not suggesting it's competition, folks. Uh, the one thing you must do on the day before any review meeting you have is give the ratee a copy of their review form, of course, minus pay information. Okay, this is so simple and so powerful, and so many people don't do it. Don't ask the employee to read their review for the first time in front of you, frantically looking for stuff to challenge or issues to unearth or where's the pay number. If it's going to be bad, there's a chance they might cry. Yes, it might happen. Yes, it does happen. Um, why make them do that in front of you? Why make them have their entire emotional lifespan play out in 30 seconds or one minute in front of you? Regardless of whether it's good or bad, the most important point you want to communicate, your core message, is going to get lost if they're not focusing on you during the meeting because they're so busy reading, trying to read between the lines and understand what it was that you did. Um, don't give it to them first thing in the morning or they'll come to you with questions during the day and you'll end up giving them the review in the course of the day before it's supposed to actually be delivered during the meeting. End of the day is the ideal time. Go to their desk, hand it to them in a file folder, ask them to wait and to read it and to wait to read it until they get home to avoid anybody else looking over their shoulder or them dying to share it with other people and remind them of when and where you're going to have it tomorrow, have the meeting tomorrow. Simple. That's it. Okay. Yeah. It, Go. It, it's interesting because I think some, um, some managers actually, God, I hate even hate to say this, but actually will resist giving to the 
giving the review to the employee, the ratee, prior to the meeting, the day before the meeting, because they, they actually don't feel prepared for the review and are worried about the ratee coming to the review with an agenda. Yeah. Like, it's almost as if they yeah. want to surprise the the ratee. Yeah, I got to tell you, that is a dirty little secret. You're right. And there are people going, oh, my gosh, I know what's going to happen. They're going to come in with questions. Yes, thank God they're going to come with questions. This is not a chance to beat them over the head with a blunt instrument and to keep them from engaging in dialogue. Why not engage them in dialogue? If you've given them a bad review, you want them talking. Now, maybe you think they've got 20 reasons why you're wrong, but if you've done your homework and you come to the meeting with all the things we tell you to come to here in just a second, come with in here in just a second, then then you're going to be able to refute any concern that they may have and reinforce all the points that they agree with. Yeah, I, I suspect there's a lot there's some listeners right now who would expected this podcast to make giving reviews easy. And in a sense you're giving folks a process for doing so that that eases the burden to give an effective review. But giving an effective review is hard work. Yep. There's a lot of work involved in being getting prepared for a review. So some people might be actually going like, oh man, this is this is more work. Yeah, than well, you know, you know what that goes to, Mike, is that goes to our assumption about management. We believe management is an ethical profession. Okay, brain surgery is hard too. You know, you get paid a lot of money, and gosh, I'd like to be a brain surgeon. Well, you got to go through a lot of hard work in order to get there, and then yeah, you get paid a lot, but you earn every dime. Yeah, it is hard work uh, to do this well. If you hear this stuff and go, gosh, this is going to be hard, then you may not have what it takes to be a manager for the rest of your life. If you hear this stuff and say, you know, wow, this is going to make things better, it's going to be tough for me, but after you get done, if you, after you do this a few times, it will become easy, 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 because it'll be it'll be your way of dealing with it rather than a fire drill every dang year. Um, it's just a matter of seeing it as a professional obligation and stepping up and doing it the right way. Well, I suspect 99% 99.9% of our listeners don't fall into the category of people who aren't willing to put the there work you, in. you know they're they're listening to our podcast every week they're going to the trouble of downloading listening to the web so they've already they've already dedicated themselves to improving their management skills so Yes and they're catching um, every error I, I make most. which I which I truly appreciate I love it when people say hey you said you're going to have something on the web about this and I haven't found it I'm like ah gosh we said that wrong on the podcast Okay yeah. Now, what do you bring to the review? Well, we're running out of time, and that makes as good a stopping point as any. Now, don't despair. Next week, we'll finish the discussion up, and we'll conclude our series on performance reviews. Well, thanks for joining us again this week, and we hope this proved useful to you. Mark and I continue to look forward to your feedback and comments, and as always, you can leave them at the website or send us an email at show at manager-tools.com. So... Until next week, have a great one. Bye.